Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is a board-certified executive coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 103 of the Leadership Window. Man, this year has flown by. World, I don't know, it's spinning faster than it used to, I think. I don't know. Anyway, welcome to episode 103. We have Beth Napleton on the show today of Beth Napleton Consulting. And I'm going to tell you, I don't usually just read entire bios. I usually pull out just the shortest little things and just make quick introductions. But this one just, I don't know, it just really interests me and I just couldn't find anything I wanted to take out. So bear with me a second while I let you know uh, who you're about to hear some rich conversation from. Uh, Beth is a New York City-based executive leadership coach, a consultant, and by the way, you don't find a, it, often people are one or the other. They're a coach or a, or a consultant. Uh, we'll get into that in talking with Beth uh, earlier, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago. Uh, she used the word coach sultant, and I hadn't ever heard that word. And I love it. I love the, the hybrid nature of it. But she is the owner and founder of Beth Napleton Consulting. She offers senior leaders in education mostly and at uh, mission-driven organizations a clear path to excellence through her individual executive and group coaching experiences. She is a national award-winning teacher. She's been in the education field for over 20 years, having trained nearly 2,000 teachers and leaders to success. She's an alumni of Columbia University, building excellent schools, and Teach for America. Most recently, she served as founder and CEO of a small charter school network on the south side of Chicago that opened in 2013. And all of the graduates of her schools in that network, most of them first-generation students, were accepted to at least two four-year, two to four-year colleges, changing their paths forever. So she's making an impact while it's in the education field. I know that many of you who listen to this program in the social sector can appreciate that. She then took her leadership skills a step further, became certified in Clifton Gallup Strength Finders uh, model, and uh, became a certified coach through them so she can help offer leaders the opportunity to lean into their own strengths and succeed. Beth completed the National Principal Supervisors Academy at Relay and is a former member of the Far Southside Community Action Council. She's been a guest on the EJT show and the Teacher Renewed What's Possible in Education podcasts and hosted her own podcast live on leadership with Beth Napleton. She is a solo parent who lives in New York City with her three amazing kids, and I will uh, go ahead and spill the beans here too, Beth. Um, Beth has has told me when we started the show, she goes, hey, if you hear a kid or two, that's just my last just life and uh, get ready for it. I uh, honestly love hearing the kids and the dogs and whatever else happens in our homes because, you know, that's life. That's just that's just who we are. So, Beth, um, thank you for, for reaching out. Glad we have connected. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We should be after that intro. Yeah, I know. I feel good. I can go. You should be excited to hear yourself. <laughs> Can't wait to hear the recording of this show. I just, I sound amazing. No, this really, this really is. I've, I've had a little bit of contact with Teach for America and, uh, uh, and, a, and a good bit of contact in the education arena myself. In fact, some nonprofits who are education focused, like partners with public schools and those kinds of nonprofits. So I'm, I'm very, very high on uh, what your bent is and what you've offered the world, but I'm just going to um, turn it to you for a second and, and just, what did I, what did I miss? What's, or what in that introduction is really the key for you? Like, tell us, tell us really who you are and what you're doing for the world. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's interesting to think about all those experiences and how they shape me. And one of the things I think about is, you know, you were sharing the bio and my mind is thinking about different parts of my career and my journey. 
you know, I think there is a common theme through them, which is that very early on, I realized that often in nonprofits and in education, there are, I mean, there are virtually everybody is in it for some sort of a calling, a mission, right? It's not, this is not just a job. There are much easier ways to pay your bills, right? Than working <laughs> in this field. And there is sometimes a step or development missing where I found, for example, in the schools that I worked in, there were leaders who had clearly been very good teachers, but who really didn't know much about managing and leading. And it was much to the detriment of the entire school community that the principal was not able to effectively communicate at my first school, for example, or share priorities or delegate. And I kept, you know, I worked at several different schools and I worked all around the country and had the ability to work under some amazing leaders and also worked under some folks who weren't so great. And it really just had me thinking so much about, you know, in any area where the priority is to help you know, to paraphrase Dr. King, bend the arc of the universe towards justice a little bit more. We have got to have leaders who are both great leaders and effective managers. And those two things are not always the same, but you you have to have a little bit of both to be able to move a group of people towards ambitious goals, which is, I imagine, what a lot of your listeners are trying to do. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that you you realize in your career that not every high performer is a good leader. And so you stepped into the space to help improve that area. You saw a gap and you stepped in. That is one of the common challenges that many of my coaches face is they were put in a position of leadership largely because they were high performers. And now they're trying to make that shift from what I call high impact, uh, high individual performer to high impact leader. And not everybody succeeds in that. And, you know, mm -hmm. the Peter principle and all that, just because you're, you know, a good, um, uh, you know, a good market design person doesn't mean you are, can run a marketing company and lead people. So when you stepped into that space, how have you, what is telling you that you're making an impact in leadership. How do you as a coach yeah. recognize the growth of the educators and others that you're coaching into leadership? Well, certainly one of the things that I think about a lot is that, you know, it feels like to, to use an analogy with what you're speaking of, it's like, you know, teaching in a classroom is like being a great springboard diver on the three meters, right? And then you get promoted to a dean as I did, right? Dean of instruction. And all of a sudden it's like, instead of the springboard at three meters, it's the platform at 10. It's like, well, they're both involved water and diving and pools, you know, and children and learning, but I now need to get results through others as opposed to my individual piece. And so I think that a lot of this lessons, you know, I think when you think about me stepping into this arena of coaching, a lot of it was after really 20 years of taking on different roles, learning the hard way, many ways to be effective or ineffective, right? So we learn from our mistakes as well. And so I think that often when I start working with leaders, they're in a place of feeling really isolated. Um, they, I feel like they've, you know, I've tried everything I can and, and I just don't know what to do. And, you know, people are complicated. And so there's lots of human emotions that come to the surface, both for them and the people they work with. And I think what we're able to do really through my coach salting work is to kind of help, first of all, take a good picture of where we're at, right? What's really going on right now. And let's just get a good picture and kind of a full 360. Then let's say, okay, well, given where we're at now and given where we want to go, what's the right way to prioritize a plan? And we always talk about making a good enough plan. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be a thousand steps. Let's make a good enough plan to get from A to B. And then I really work with people. And that's that all is part of the kind of the consulting part, the salting part of coach salting, where I always say, I bring the agenda, I come away with the to-dos, I'm doing the interviews and the focus groups and the site visits and the observations and whatever it might be. And then we shift into the coaching where we've got this plan, we've aligned on it. We think this makes the most sense. And now it's about how do we implement this? So leaders might say, I want to work on making my organization more a place where it's like a culture of feedback. And so I'll do a current state analysis. We'll think about why is there, isn't that happening? Well, I, I'll identify kind of various key levers that we can pull 
we'll figure out a path together and then they'll start taking those actions. And, you know, inevitably, you know, you hit bumps in the road. That's how it goes. Even the best plan never goes exactly right. There's a reason that's a cliche, not according to plan. Right. And so how do we then navigate that so that it doesn't just gather dust in a drawer? You don't get up, up, you're not frustrated and you are able to get yourself from step A, you know, point A to point B into that desired state that you're hoping to get to as a leader. Well, I can imagine that the coach salting really works in the teaching environment for you because that's where the subject matter expertise is. I was talking, my background, I, I spent probably about the same amount of time you spent in education. I spent in the nonprofit world as an organizational leader. And um, so most of who I coach are nonprofit leaders. And there is a, a bit of a hybrid where because I have experience, I understand the environment they're in, the nuances of that challenge. I can be a little bit of a mentor at slash advisor. Uh, I mm -hmm. still wouldn't quite maybe say consulting, but, but I certainly can do more than just stay in inquiry mode, um, where coaching lives, but only with them. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't play that role. If I were, if I were coaching most of your clients, I would not play the coach sultant role. I'd play the coach role and you may do the same, you know, with clients that you're not familiar with their arena. Does that make sense? I think it's a great asset yeah. and value for, for your sector. Well, I certainly, I work a lot with principals and so we'll work on various issues. Like I want my school to become more goal oriented or, um, mm. you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people in this kind of current talent landscape, it feels, you know, I know we need to revamp our performance review process and I'm kind of terrified because of what's going on in the broader world. So how do we work through this? But what I find is even with my nonprofit clients and in these areas, so much of where my work is, is in leading humans to achieve what you want them to do. And it's just, it, in some ways, you know, there's always a few key things I'm asking myself. Are there, is there, are there clear goals that we're shooting for? Whether they're quantitative or qualitative, do we have a clear target that we're aiming for, right? Do we have ways to monitor that? Do we know who does what? And, you know, this is often where it gets real messy because everyone does a little bit of something and who makes the decision and she really cares about this. And it's it really, let, let's clarify roles and goals. And I think that goes such a long way in virtually every industry. I mean, my family is in the automobile business. It could not be more different than education. And the number of conversations I've had where it's like, actually, like, do they know their goals? Do they know their roles. Do they know where decision-making authority is. It solves a lot of problems. Not all of them, of course, but I think that it is really, um, you know, I think one of my coaching clients this morning was saying, you know, I love working with you because you always offer solutions. And I was like, well, this is actually not what coaches do, right? True coaches are asking all <laughs> questions all the time and you're coming to it and, and it's fantastic. And I think in some ways it's just knowing myself, I'm just like a little bit impatient for that. And I was like, look, you're thinking about how to continue this development that you had, you know, this was the Dean of a, a large university. And she, you know, had had a retreat and they had some great training on storytelling and she wanted to continue that, right? She didn't want this to die out, even though they only do their retreat annually. She was looking for ideas. And I said, well, here's what I think you could do. And you could do in this. She goes, I love it. You just go straight to the solutions. And I go, well, I've tried this like probably 50 different ways and this works best. And so this is what you're getting in my expertise is you're leaving out the 49 ways that didn't work so great. Mm. And here's the 50th way that I think kind of gets you to where you want to go because you know, so often there isn't a roadmap for this. There's not like a, a handbook or a manual that shows you, you know, how to go from point A to point B. And there are some things that work and that can be, you know, in my mind, always thinking about the bandwidth of a leader is always stretched, right? Their capacity is always there. How do we do it in a way that gets us to where we want to go without being overly burdensome on the leader who already has so much that they're juggling? Well, yeah. <laughs> It's funny you say, oh, this is great. You go straight to solutions. And, and if I heard that, um, I would be, I would go, ooh, that, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> but the, the, what I like is that you, you call it out in advance. I mean, you're calling it coach salting and you're letting people know that there's a hybrid on this. And yeah, I, I've done that too. Like I say, I probably give, I always say I give probably more advice than my coach, mentor, trainer, certifier would like to hear if he were listening mm -hmm, in on my mm -hmm. <laughs> coaching conversations. Um, but 
as long as I think as long as you're calling it out, I mean, you lay that expectation out and people know, Hey, I might not get every answer, but she is going to share with me some of the wisdom that she's gleaned. And so they know what they're paying for and they're, they're paying for some of those answers and some of those technical things. I always, uh, I do it. And then my coach reminds me, you don't want to own that Patrick. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you, because if mm-hmm. it because if you give them the advice and it doesn't pan out then you look like the you know like then you, that's yours because it your, was your advice you know mm-hmm. um but yeah i think that's where the intersection lies though is when you have the subject matter expertise and you have clarity about what you're offering the client in that moment i think it's great to have that hybrid well and sometimes there's also you know there are certainly things where people will say well what would you do in this situation? And it's like, it actually doesn't matter what I would do because I am Beth and this is the way that I lead. That's right. And so I might do X and Y, you might do A and B. There's no right or wrong answer, but let's actually really get to, you know, what are your fears? What's motivating you? What's holding you back? And what are the dynamics of your organization? I mean, you have far more insight into the particulars of what it's like to, to work there than I ever will. And so let's really make this a safe space to talk, to share your fears, to say, oh, and this would be hard. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways I can say to people, well, here's what I did in a similar situation and here's how I found, but really we're different people. And I really strongly believe that people need to lead from their own strengths and from their own selves and who they are authentically. And sometimes, you know, even just hearing that is a relief for people because we can have these archetypes of like, well, I should be this way, or I should be this way or whatever it is. Um, And we can say, no, like you you should be yourself, right? That's going to always get you the furthest. Yeah. I tell people, you don't want to hear what I would do because I would blow it up and fail. (laughs) That's what I would do. Right. Uh, Right. (laughs) So, hey, I'm interested. Um, One of the things I I know about you from earlier conversations and just from some of the, the, the materials of yours that I've been able to look at is one of the things you help leaders with is building teams. That whole, that's one aspect of leadership is just building a team and helping a team function um, in a, in a healthy way and an impactful way with each other. I'm curious, and then I'll have a little nuanced question for you after this, but I'm curious as to what are those top two or three things that you would say are the keys for a leader building effective teams? Yeah. And I would say too, when we use the word building, you know, it's because teams are constantly growing and evolving. I do occasionally work with people who are starting a school and they're really building from scratch, right? But usually you've got a group of people and you're not entirely happy with how things are going for whatever reason. And so it might be a little bit of a rebuild or a reset, right? Or a re whatever it is, refresh, but we're always works in process. We're always growing as both individuals within the team and, you know, collectively in our ability to affect change. And so I think, you know, in a lot of ways, what I always try and do is suss out, right? What is the purpose of this team? And, you know, it is amazing the number of times that people kind of look at me blankly, you know, because the, this group has always met every Monday for the past 20 years, you know, it's like, I don't, this is, we just, this is what we do. Okay. Well, let's just revisit. Why do we do it? Why is it important that this particular group gets together? Why is this not check-ins? Why is this not in this format? Then we also, so why does this group get together? What are they really shooting for? And what's the role of each person there? And then I think there's like a bunch of the kind of soft stuff on the culture side where I spend a lot of time, you know, do people trust each other? Are people okay with talking about their mistakes and their learning? Is there kind of this growth orientation? Um, Are we, you know, do we hold each other and ourselves accountable? And that doesn't mean that we deliver a hundred percent of the time. I mean, that would be fantastic, but humans are human. But then we say, I'm sorry, I was late on this, or this wasn't quite up to where I wanted. And so, you know, really kind of observing, and this is one where I think the leader can really set a tone. And so this is where often my work is kind of bounces between working with a leader one-on-one and then doing some observation and sometimes also working with their teams as well. Um, I think I'm able to, from my outside perspective, sometimes see things that either have been there for so long, it's hard for people to see fresh. It's kind of like become part of the background and I can kind of draw attention to it as a barrier um, or, you know, just have like a totally outside peace of mind. So like, you know, I work with a leader of a school uh, in Durham, North Carolina. He is a black man. His AP team was two white women. And there were a lot of racial dynamics that I saw. And, you know, to be able to say like, hey, I think this might be happening, like led to a really rich conversation. Um, And I think, 
he was able to see that outside conversation and we could kind of think about, okay, let's just, you, he's always going to bring more context to the situation than I am. So like, let's hear that context. Let's hear what this is. And let's really think about given the other situation, the other issues in place right now, how do we navigate through this to, you know, getting the student results that you guys promise your students you'll get. Um, here's the nuanced question. Okay. How do you build, how do you help build virtual and remote teams? This is yes. an area that is, yeah. it's very frustrating for a lot of people, both the leaders and the, and the team members is frustrating for me as a coach in companies. I hate this virtual stuff. I really do. I hate the virtual and remote. I get it. I think some, some work is more conducive to remote than other, but there's a lot of it now. And, you know, COVID of course, amplified it, accelerated it exponentially. And now organizations have just kind of said, Oh, okay, well, this is the way we do it now. Uh, it, it causes, uh, it's rough. It's challenging for leaders to build teams virtually and remotely because of the, just the connection, the su everything from the supervision to the connection to just everything. How does mm -hmm. it change for you? What do you believe are the keys? If there were just two or three sort of keys to, to yeah. building teams that are virtual and remote. Well, I'll say, first of all, I think this is a very hot topic. And so I appreciate you bringing it up. And it's interesting because I work with a variety of clients, some of whom, you know, schools, I mean, God almighty, we tried schools being remote and that was a disaster. <laughs> I speak this as the parent of three school-aged children. I did virtual kindergarten. And let me tell you, never again. Um, but, you know, so, so they have to be in person. I work, you know, I have a large homeless shelter as a client, right? That is an in, most of their staff is in person. And so, and then I work with other clients where there is more of the option for flexibility. And they're almost in some ways in a worse boat because, you know, I have one client whose CEO is insistent they're in the office five days a week. And that's created some issues with the employee engagement and staff culture that, you know, kind of from his strong preference. And I have other people who are a little bit wishy-washy about it. And no one knows what to do. And then other people who can't decide. And, and you know, like it, it's not made easier by the fact that, you know, as we tape this, at least like cases are on the rise and people are getting sick and, you know, the regular flu season's coming out. And so I think it is really tricky. So what I would say is this, like a couple of things come to mind. Like number one, I think approaching this with a mindset of, try stuff and see, right? Take a learning orientation. Let's kind of see what works. It's a pendulum. It's a balance. Let's figure this out. And so, you know, for example, I have clients who tried a, you know, like 15 minute, like, you know, cup of coffee zoom, right? And for some clients, like, you know, a kind of a group gathering watering spot in the morning for some people that has companies that's really evolved into like a really nice, pleasant way to start the day. It drove other people absolutely bonkers and they stopped it almost immediately. And so try and see, right? Like, what are you looking for? Do you need more communication? Is it, you know, more FaceTime? Is it some of that, um, of what I think of as like the in-between stuff, right? Like, you know, if you're at a meeting in person and you sit in a conference room, you turn to someone and say, oh, I like your sweater. Oh, thanks. I got it at the mall last week. It was on sale. Oh, I didn't know. I love that mall. You know, you get some of that. And that's what can be missing in this virtual world is like some of those informal interactions. And so how can you build those? You know, is it a celebrations channel in Slack? Is it, um, is it taking time to do an opener that is not at all about work, you know, your highs and lows of the week, or if you, you know, what's your favorite food? I mean, the silliest things can be helpful for helping people feel a little bit more connected. And then, you know, I also think it, bringing people together. I mean, you know, my company's remote. We did an in-person retreat two weeks ago. And I'll tell you before I was, there was all these logistical challenges and the cost of this. It was really great for us in a lot of ways. And we've done virtual retreats and this was far better. And so, you know, how can we not be afraid to bring people together occasionally as needed in a helpful, impactful way, even just for the humanity of it and just for kind of connecting and just for getting more aligned. And just because I do think conversations are different when they happen in a room together than when they happen with the screen between them. And there's so much that remote work affords us. It can be so flexible. You can do your laundry while you're in a meeting. It's amazing. But also there is something that it takes from us. And we have to think about how do we add what it takes from us back in, at least in some capacity. Well, I guess that's what I'm wanting to know more, more of how you do that. I mean, when I say I hate it, I, I work, I work from home. I mean, this mm -hmm. is, you know, I run my own business and, um, 
and I, I, I work from home, but, but of course I connect with my clients. And uh, when I say I hate this stuff, I, I hear, here's an example. I know I sound terrible, <laughs> but, but people who know me know, I just, I've just said, I don't, I don't like it. I, again, I get it. And I, I so appreciate the value of technology. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if we didn't have the technology to be able to be right. remote. You're not here in the studio with me. So, um, I totally get that. One of the things though, that I just, I, I have to keep saying that we're suffering from is we are losing connection at an exponential rate, human connection. There's, you can't replace it. It's not the same on a screen. It's not the same on a conference call. It's definitely not the same in a hybrid, you know, retreat when you're trying to engage people and four of them are on the big screen up on the wall and everybody else is like, it's so difficult for that connection to happen. And what I hear from the leaders or sometimes the, the members of the teams is we just don't, we just don't connect enough. We don't have the kind of relationships. I don't know my people. You mentioned your company's remote, but you also mentioned the things you're doing to make mindful connection and be periodic. One of the things I liked about what you said, you didn't use these words, but what I was hearing was the leader has to be in tune with the, you know, is this working? Is, am I yes. losing connection? Does this person feel connected? And uh, that's just hard to do when you're all about the work. But I, I just wondered how you, you know, how you approach that, how you mitigate or minimize the loss of connection that happens remote and virtual because it does happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think, look, like even many, many moons ago, I was an American studies major in college and we read an article, right, about the loss of social connection you know, that was happening bowling alone, right? You know, the, the Robert yep. Putnam article yep. and like, you know, it's like, it's, so it's, or, you know, when, how'd you find out about your friends? You know, uh, the kid won the soccer championship. Well, you probably saw it on Instagram. You know, it wasn't at a barbecue or in the neighborhood in the potluck. And it allows a lot because I can know that about my friend who lives in California, even though that I live in New York, I can feel part of their life in that way, but we, we are really suffering from this piece, bigger picture. And I think that it's also helpful for leaders in these companies to think about, well, how important is connection? If you think it's not at all important, I would really challenge you to rethink that because people, you know, are, I think research has shown time and again that that they like organizations, but they're loyal to the people in them, right? I'll stay not because I think XYZ company is great, but because Bob, my manager is amazing. Well, you know, it's important that Bob feels connected. It's important to kind of keep facilitating that. And so, I think, you know, in some work, it might feel maybe in a more technical field, it feels less important. Maybe it's 25% important, maybe in a more human-centered field, it's more like 75% important, but how important is this and what can I do to help facilitate it? And sometimes I think you can get in these, like, it has to be this grand thing or this big piece, but it really is as I think, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as making time for chit chat or sharing a photo from your weekend, or, you know, some people are afraid to kind of bring that in and they think, well, it's work and we should separate these two. But I just did a masterclass last week where I talked about, you know, I always talk with my leaders about the personal and professional. And the reason is, is because that person is the one showing up to work. <laughs> and so like, if you didn't get a good night's sleep last night, that is the person who's in the meeting. That is the person who's running the show, right? Well, if you, your you say child in... is in the hospital, you know, like that, that matters to how you engage in your check-in. And so you know, I'm not saying we should only be super personal at work, but it, it's who we are as people shows up at work, no matter how good we are at compartmentalizing. Yeah. Well, you talk about being in the meeting. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's an ana analogy I use and then we'll get, I'll get off my soapbox. I promise we'll go, go on <laughs> to another topic, but, but I just think this is important for leaders to keep in mind when you're in a, uh, when you're in an office space and you have a staff meeting or when you go to a conference and you're in a breakout session, do you put a bag over your head? Right, right. You're right. You, but, just, you but, don't have the opportunity to, yeah. You can't just turn your screen off. And yet the mm -hmm. number of meetings that I have facilitated or been a part of where people just, oh, well, I'll just turn off my, I'll just turn off my video. So everybody can either see a, a picture of me or a black screen that just has my name on it, or maybe my phone number, 
you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like, how is that being in the meeting? You are not present. And I, well, there's people yeah. on my, there's people listening to me right now. Uh, forgive me, Beth, you might be one of them who does that. And I just offended you, but there are people listening <laughs> to me right now who are like, Oh dude, no, no, no. I'm, I'm fully present. I've just, I've just, I'll just, I'll just buck up against it and say, you're not fully present. If, if, if you're trying to get as much connection as you can and you're truly meeting and, and present again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sit in a meeting and hold up a big black poster board in front of your face so nobody could see you. You just wouldn't right. do that. I mean, why do well, we? Well, and I, it's, I think it goes back to purpose and you know, how important is this purpose? And you know, I, I've seen a lot of places and, you know, when I was, I was still the CEO of the small charter school network that I ran in Chicago when the pandemic struck. And so we navigated the transition to virtual school. And one of the things that we did very deliberately was really talk with our students and with our teachers about why we thought it was so important to have screens on, right? And so how you could see, we could, you know, teachers read facial expressions of students. They get this. We feel humanly connected. Yeah. And we also talked about, you know, so we front loaded that and said, here's why we think it's important. And we also get that sometimes there's, you know, our students sometimes didn't want to share what was happening in the background of their homes, or they felt like it violated their privacy in a way that we wanted to respect. And so we talked about, okay, so let's think about how you could sit at a place in your home where there's only the wall behind you, maybe not other people, and it's not as distracting. Or, you know, what are our norms? Hey, put in the chat, if you're just not feeling it, right, or I'm not there today, which, you know, I, one of my one of my soapboxes is, you know, we, we don't even know the effects of the pandemic, right, and we won't for a long time. But mm. by all these adolescents who had to spend these developmental years basically on virtual school, looking at, you know, looking at themselves all day in the screen. I mean, can you imagine in seventh grade? Oh, it ain't good. (laughs) A a mirror on your desk and said, just stare into this all day. I mean, that is the worst thing you could ever prescribe for a seventh grader. And so how do we, you know, I don't like it as a, someone who is very far from seventh grade myself. And so, you know, how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we recognize that? But again, it's a sense of intentionality and purpose. And sometimes, you know, it, you know, people might say, hey, I'm moving locations or I'll be in a team meeting and somebody will chat and say, I'm just changing locations. So I turn my screen off because I think it's disoriented and distracting. Okay, great. But how do we help kind of cultivate the environments where people, we can be clear about our expectations, clear about the rationale behind our expectations, and then also think and plan for how should we do when it might be hard to live up to. And I think that there's a lot in the virtual world that is just all over the map. And so how do we help kind of bring people to like more of a same page around it? But yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely hear what you're saying. Well, thank you for coaching me on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you what to do. I'm not, if I was a coach, I'd be asking you questions. Why no, do you feel but you're, way, right? well, yeah, I'm a, fo- a faux coach in that way. <laughs> but you are, you are helping me. You are reminding me to think of all the different nuances. And I, I do, I get those, I, you know, and you're talking about students and being in their homes and us coming into their homes to teach them. And, you know, I, I get there's all kinds of home situations and things like that. I, I really do. That That's not mostly what I experience on these black screens. Right. Though, is, is I, I've, I have facilitated board retreats online mm. where almost everybody has their videos off after in advance saying, please, come fully present with your videos on. This is a board retreat. We're doing strategy here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they don't, when they don't do it, it's just like, well, all right, we're, we're really losing that connection. You, you just can't, you can't duplicate it, but I do appreciate there are tips. There are things you need to know because people are going to do it and it is kind of the new norm. Uh, so they say, but anyway, um, thanks for letting me vent uh, there just a little bit. <laughs> well, we we couldn't be talking today if it weren't for if it weren't for some of these tools. No, so, that's right. You know that is there is a bright side. Everything has a light and a shadow, right? So yep. sometimes we just have to focus on the other part. Yep, that's right. Well, let me ask you. Let me shift gears a little bit because I read something on. I don't even remember what it was. I read maybe it might have been in one of your initial emails. There's some. There's some. Um, tenets and concepts that you cover. And one of them I read was the top two often unexpected secrets to being a successful leader. And I read that and I thought, I need to hear that because like, <laughs> why is it secret? Uh, let's get it out there. We got a bunch of listeners yes. on that. Well, tell me what that's about. <laughs> 
Well, we're not trying to keep it a secret, so I'm happy to uh, <laughs> share figured. from the proverbial rooftops here. But I think, you know, we, we touched a little bit on one of them, and I think it is so important for leaders to really be themselves. I just think that that is when we are ourselves as leaders, we give other people permission, unspoken and sometimes spoken permission to be themselves. And they see that and they see that authenticity. And I am a big fan of, you know, I like the Clifton Gallup strengths. I like the disc. I like the Enneagram, any of these kind of personality tests or assessments that help us know ourselves, because when we know ourselves better, I think we can operate more from an authentic place. And so often there is an archetype of, well, this is what a leader looks like. And this is what a leader sounds like. And I should be more blank because I'm a leader now, or I got this promotion. And I think, you know, you have to really, and it can be hard, especially if you're, you know, I'm a woman. That's not always how people are expected. You know, how do you, you know, there's like lots of different identity factors that can play into people questioning themselves or feeling imposter syndrome. But I really truly think that the leaders I see thrive are really themselves and have figured out how to be myself. You know, my CEO self is not the same as my friend self, right? I'm a different person to some extent at dinner with a friend than if I was at dinner with a client, but honestly, not that different right? There's a few more curse words peppered in with a friend, right? There's like a few more stories shared that I wouldn't share with a client, but I really try and operate from that warm place. I'm inquisitive. I try to really engage as myself. And I think that's very freeing. So that's my first. And I hope it's not a secret. I hope this resonates and people are saying, well, I've heard it before and I've thought it before, but I just think that it always bears repeating. I had a, yeah. before you go to the second one, um, yeah. one of the, I got a great opportunity a number of years ago to get some coaching from truly an, an elite world coach named Kevin Cashman, um, written one of the best books, maybe the best book on leadership to this date that I've ever read. And it's called leadership from the inside out. It's by Kevin Cashman. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Absolutely. And, um, he had a definition of leadership which I, I'm a nerd, I collect leadership definitions. And his, <laughs> his is, or was at that time, I think he slightly altered it, but his definition of leadership was authentic self-expression that creates value. Mm. And, and so it's not about authority, it's not about position, it's not about managing, it's authentic self-expression that creates value, but he described that as a three-legged stool. Number one, it has to be authentic. People see through mm -hmm. the superficial eventually, at least. Some people are better at holding it out there longer, but um, people know- Nobody can make it forever. That's right. And people know <laughs> authenticity when they feel it. So it's gotta be that. Second, it has to get expressed. If it doesn't get expressed, it's not leadership. And you know, he talked about if you're in a boardroom and there's a decision being made that you don't like for whatever reason, and you go out in the parking lot and you say, I don't, I didn't like that vote. Well, it, that's not leadership because you didn't express mm -hmm. it when it needed to be expressed. But mm -hmm. he said the third leg of the stool is the key one because it has to create value. So we know a lot of authentic self-expressors. They're very authentic and they'll tell you, I just speak my mind, right? I am who I am. Take it or leave it. I just, I say it, if it comes in my mind, it comes out my mouth. It's authentic self-expression, but that kind of self-expression as authentic as it might be, doesn't always create value. Sometimes that can be destructive. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I, I say all that and kind of share that with you and with our listeners, because I love the number one tip there, be yourself. My, my add on to that would be Kevin's add on to that be yourself in a way that creates value. <laughs> yes. And it's just, yes, a, it's absolutely. always a good reminder for me because and I've got a friend and a colleague who says, you know, be careful too, when you ask people to bring their authentic selves to the table, <laughs> right. make sure that's right. really say, what you, know, you want. Actually, can you go back behind that mask a little uh, bit yeah, more? Yeah, yeah. Can you just <laughs> put that bag back over your head? Um, right, right, right. Uh, just, yeah. just for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. So absolutely. what's the second one? And I think, you know, I, I love that. Sorry. I just, one note on that is that I think also, you know, when you're really looking towards the mission and towards the goals, right. And thinking about what do I add, that's how you create value, mm. right. You know, this yeah, is a purpose. Piece. And that doesn't mean you have all the answers because nobody has all the answers, but it really helps. You know, I think people also see 
when you are really what you're working for, that's right? right? That's part of being authentic. And so I think that is a big piece of that. That's real. That's um, a great add on. Yes. When people can see the motive behind it and it's part of trust, the, the, comp, yes. the character side of trust. And when they see that, they see that the motive is right because they trust the character side of it. That that's authentic. I like that. Absolutely. And then, you know, my second thing, and this is something that I just see again and again, where, especially in the nonprofit world or in education, where sometimes resources are scarce, leaders are sometimes reluctant to invest in themselves. They think I should be able to do it myself. I was hired for the job. You know, you're looking at a budget and thinking, oh, how do this, that could, that could help me get a recess aid. I could buy a classroom library full of books. And I see leaders all the time depriving themselves of development in the same way. But if you said to them, well, what about your teachers? Oh, of course, my teachers go to all the PDs and, you know, whatever it is. Well, invest in yourself like you invest in your best team members because you deserve it. And when you think about the impact on an organization, and this is one of the reasons I work with leaders is because I actually really want to impact students. And I know that if I can pick one person in a school building to have the biggest impact on students, I work with the principal because they work with their leadership team who works with the teachers who works with the students. And if I do my job well, it trickles all the way down to each student. But you know, and that's amazing. That's an amazing return on investment, right? But I think sometimes people are afraid or have the scarcity mindset or want to white knuckle it or figure it out themselves when the reality is, is this job has always been challenging. It will always be challenging. All the, you know, the pandemic made it more difficult. I mean, artificial intelligence is nobody knows what to do with it and how to corral it. There's like lots of elements there. Like you need to continuously, you know, expand your toolbox have some coaching, have the resources you need the same way that you would want to do to your, your, you know, high performing staff members. It's the, so old, that's my second secret, uh, but I uh, hope it's not a secret. <laughs> uh, it's not a secret, but it is often forgotten and, and neglected. Um, it, and it's, a, it's that self-care and self-development and, uh, it's, you know, it's the old oxygen mask rule, put the mask on yourself first yes, before you help I love others. That one. Because if, if you can't, I, you know, I like to say, if you can't breathe, you can't help anybody else. There's a, mm-hmm. um, this may interest you because you like assessments like I do. My favorite assessment that I use, and I use them all, the DISC, the FIRO B, the Center for Creatives, uh, Leadership's Benchmarks and all these. I love the motivators assessment. It assesses people's motive and drive across seven different dimensions. And I I won't go in depth into it, but but back to your number two tip here about focusing on yourself. Um, It probably wouldn't surprise you that in the nonprofit sector, probably in the teaching sector too, um, one of the highest motivators that I see in the people that I coach is altruism. So it, the seven dimensions are how motivated am I by aesthetics, by economics, by individuality, by power, by altruism, by regulatory, and by theoretical. And mm. altruism always comes way high in the nonprofit sector because that's why people are in that, in that work. They're wanting to make a difference. But um, listen to the continuum of words describing someone with extremely low altruistic motive and extremely high altruistic motive. So altruism is all about, you know, wanting to make, want to make a difference for others, right? It's a giving sort of a thing. And you'll, you'll catch this. I hope our listeners catch this. It's easier if you can see it, but I'll, uh, there's 10 words I'm going to go through in order from least altruistic to most altruistic. And you will see that at both ends at the beginning and at the end are words that sound like this isn't what I want to be. (laughs) Okay. So Mm. from low altruism to high, it goes like this self-focused, distrusting, Mm. suspicious, self-protective, helpful, supportive, obliging, accommodating, (laughs) sacrificial, subserving it. Wow. So that subservient and sacrificial space, which I see people in can be a huge, Mm -hmm. it's a very virtuous asset to say, I I'm just, I'm here to give to others. Right. I, we get it. It, There's a, it's a great thing to have, 
but it can really cost you because you can reach a point where you cannot as effectively serve others because you're too sacrificial and subservient and not developing and strengthening yourself. So I'm telling mm-hmm. you this to affirm your second. I, I, it, I just love it. I think those are two, two amazing tips to give. And you're right. They're not secrets, but they are often neglected. I think that, you know, I love the oxygen mask. I always talk about how we have to put our own oxygen mask out first. And then I think I also sometimes say, look, you can't pour from an empty cup. And Mm -hmm. so I think about development as something you need to pour into your cup so that you can pour out. And, you know, I think that piece, you know, and unfortunately I'm all too familiar with what you described, right? People are depleted, you know, they have totally, you know, beyond sacrifice, subservient. And it's like, this actually isn't good for anyone. Right. And, and I'm working with an organization now with a CEO who has made an amazing impact over a 10 year tenure, but it's taken a real unfortunate turn the last several years because the, you know, headline of this person is kind of constantly, but look at all I've done for this organization. How could you blank? I mean, and the how could you is like, how could you expect me to have accurate board packets every meeting for finances, which is, by the way, one of the fiduciary responsibilities of a board of directors. And so, you know, what you personally have sacrificed is actually not one of the things that we're looking at here. We're looking at, you know, have you done your job? Have you enabled others to be able to do their jobs more effectively? And I just think there's no good ending I can think of you know, when it, when it is that level of subservience, yeah. um, you got to keep something for yourself. You got to be able to develop yourself too. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Um, Beth, let me, let me, um, kind of lead us toward a wrap here with a couple of questions that I like to ask all my guests, um, because I just always love the responses. They're inspiring. I love stories. I think stories are some of the most powerful ways that we can communicate. So I love to know from people like you who are just excelling, helping other leaders, who is someone in your life that you think about or look to as someone who has had great impact on your philosophy of leadership and, and um, how you've become the leader and the leader coach that you are? Who, who is that yeah. for you and why? So for me, it's a man named Caleb Dolan. And I will tell you, 20 years ago, I moved from New York City, which is my absolute favorite place in the world, to a town of a thousand people in rural North Carolina to teach at a charter school that he founded. And I had happened upon the school on a visit. I just fell in love with it. I knew I would be going back to teaching, right? I I really missed the classroom. And I decided to uproot my life and go. And it was one of the best professional decisions I've ever made because Mm. the ability to work on Caleb's team. And I also had the privilege of teaching the same group of students. I started with them in fifth grade and taught them in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And now they're, you know, young adults in their (laughs) thirties. And so, you know, with doctorates and law degrees and most of them, the first in their family to go to college. But what I learned about instruction and how to be a great teacher, what I learned about how, I mean, Caleb has you know, just no ego. He was so such a humble leader. And I think, you know, to me, it's leaders with humility is something I always really value. And I really learned a lot from Caleb because it was really about, right, what's the best answer to this question? Not about who came up with it or where it was at. He was really authentic. He was truly himself. Um, and he really was dedicated. And I think that, you know, he's still a dear friend to this day. I continue to learn a lot from him. Um, and I think that that was just a really transformative experience. And it's really interesting because, you know, in my four years, when I joined the school was in its third year, it was about to, it was fifth through seventh grade growing that school till eighth grade, then the campus next door through 12th. And, you know, there are a number of people who've started, I think it's something like somebody once figured out that like six people have gone on from there to start their own schools. People have been superintendents and they've been master teachers. They've been, I mean, it really is amazing how working at this organization helped just change the trajectory of so many people's lives to make a really deep, deep impact in education. And I firmly believe that was all due to Caleb's leadership. Wow. That's why I love these stories. That's really inspiring. Yeah. I, I hope, I hope he's listening. I hope he's listening <laughs> to this episode. I was going to say, I'll make sure to send in the link. Exactly. Please, please exactly. do. Because man, we just don't, we often don't stop and think about the impact we're making on someone else. Um, you know, he, he probably doesn't, you know, it's probably not top of mind for him, but, um, we, we do as leaders, we have an opportunity 
to really impact people. And sometimes we don't know it till, till years later, what that impact mm-hmm. actually was. So I love it. Um, last question is if you had, this is my, this is my 15 second soundbite question. It's the, if what, what's your top tenet of leadership? If you could stand on a mountaintop with the megaphone and all the leaders of the world were down below and you had one thing to remind leaders of that we should all be thinking of as leaders, what would that one thing be for you? What's the Beth Napleton leadership, top leadership tenet? Absolutely. Well, I always, I think so much of our work as leaders is about leading people towards these big visions and these grand plans and these huge ideas, and it can be exhausting. And I always say to my leaders, and it's, it's, it's almost like a bad mom joke, but I always say to them, you know, the old cliche, how do you eat an elephant? Right. And the answer is, one bite at a time. And mm. so, you know, when you're thinking about all this thing, you know, that's what leaders are trying to do. They're trying to eat elephants, right? They're trying to close the achievement gap and end homelessness and do these things that are so difficult. And how do you do it? Just one day at a time. And so I think that's always what I like to remind people. And I hope that that inspires some of your listeners and uh, as they kind of trudge through some of the, the challenges that, you know, really just come with the role. I had a, a performance appraisal once years ago when I was in organizational leadership. My, my board gave me and one of uh, my board chair <clears throat> said that Patrick's greatest strength is his impatience and mm. his and his greatest weakness is his impatience. <laughs> and uh, that's a good reminder for me. Yeah, one step at a time. We, don't, don't get ahead of yourself. It'll still be there. Take it slow, go far. And, and what you're doing now is making a difference, yeah, right? It yeah. is. And so you have to you you have to recognize that. Maybe not as fast as you want, That's but right. it's happening. That's right. <laughs> Beth, thank you. Um, I want to direct people. Is it is it Beth at at BethNapleton.com? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they can go to my website at BethNapleton.com. I've got some resources and blogs, a leadership quiz, you know, all kinds of things to really help leaders out no matter where they're at in their journey. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. I hope people will check it out and uh, get in touch with you if you can be of help to them, particularly if they're in that education arena. So thank you, uh, folks. I I hope you take this and um, find a place to apply it. It's been uh, inspiring for me. You always inspire me as leaders. So lead on. Mm